G'day everyone, Rob here. You know, when you go back through the Doctor Who show feed, back to our earlier episodes when we used to do everything in one episode, so there'd be an interview and there'd be the Letter Lords and there'd be the Doctor Who A to Z and there'd be Who Teaks Roadshow and there'd be reviews of things and it's like, oh my god, you know, two and a half, three hours long. It would only come out once a month, of course, but it was still quite a quite a mouthful to try and chew on and swallow, I know. And that's why we changed the format of the show. That's why everything is in individual segments now on the feed. Um, One thing I've been thinking about recently is there's a lot of good stuff in those early episodes, and knowing how much our listenership has grown over the past year and a bit that we've been going, I know some of you might not have gone back and listened to the earlier shows. Some of you might have skipped through things on the earlier shows, um, and some of you might have even forgotten what happened on our earlier shows. So I thought it might be fun to go back to an early episode. I've, I've selected episode four, and I've pulled out the Who Teaks Roadshow from it. This is me speaking with Brendan Jones from Flight Through Entirety, another great Australian podcast, talking about uh, the Daypole TARDIS set and Doctor Who action figures in general. And it's a really great chat, and I'm really delighted to present it here in its entirety, but as a standalone episode. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Who Teaks Roadshow. I'm here this episode with Brendan Jones from Flight Through Entirety. How are you, Brendan? I'm uh, I'm I'm recovering from a cold at the moment, so I do apologise to your listeners if I burst into a coughing fit. And also for listeners of Flight Through Entirety, no, I don't usually sound this sexy, but thanks for noticing. <laughs> yes, we were going to record this listeners closer to the witching hour this evening, but uh, recording it earlier in the evening so Brendan can rest his voice afterwards and maybe get some sleep. That's right. I mean, uh, I am actually... Uh, usually out this time on a Friday night, not partying and living it up, but um, at wrestling training because I do Olympic freestyle wrestling. So um, there's something for your listeners. Well, there's something we didn't know straight away in the first tour. <laughs> That's not even the first minute. Gosh, this is going to be a cracker. <laughs> All right. How's uh, Flight Through Entirety going at the moment? Uh, we're going very well. So uh, currently we are in the midst of season 18. So Tom Baker's final season, we've uh, released uh, a little over 70 episodes now. So we've got about, I think it's about 56 until we get to the telly movie. And uh, current plans are we will continue into the new series. uh, But that may see some uh, slight changes in the format as well to, you know, because we'll be going into new territory. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. we've been doing it about two years now. I've figured out our Tom Baker retrospective will come out in our second anniversary week. So that's uh, that's somewhat appropriate, I think. Oh, fantastic. Yes, I noticed. I think I'm up to hearing you talk about Megloss. Yes, that was um, that was our episode released last week as we record. I'm not sure what will be out um, when, when this episode comes out. But uh, yes, our, our Megloss episode where, spoiler alert, we spend about half the duration just talking about how wonderful Jacqueline Hill is. <laughs> well, she is. Yes, exactly. You know, no problem there. All right then. This is Who Teaks Roadshow. So you've you've got something for us to look at today. What what have you brought in? Well, uh, what I've brought in is the uh, I believe initially released in 1988 mm-hmm. uh, Daypole Tardis uh, Tardis console room set. Ooh. So um, this comes with several pieces. It comes with uh, the fabulous Daypole. TARDIS console with its five sides. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
And uh, it comes with a male figure in the pink blouse. Yes. And a beige-coated Sylvester McCoy. Although, really, this action figure, he's a grey-coated Sylvester McCoy. It was, yes. <laughs> and um, infamously a green canine. Oh, yes. Because... Um, now, I gather the reason for this was uh, Daypole, of course, were an English company more known for designing model railways. That's right, yes. Uh, model railway sets. Uh, but uh, producer John Nathan Turner farmed out the action figure rights, discovered there was a company in England keen to break into the action figure market. Uh, Daypole did their manufacturing in France, I believe, and so the reference materials for the figures were sent to people who'd never seen Doctor Who before. <laughs> and the photos they had of K9 were from K9 and Company, where he's out on the grass. Yep. So his um, his shell was reflecting the grass, and that's why we got this green canine, who I believe was only released in this set. I may be wrong on that. He may have been released individually as well. The set comes with a, uh, a TARDIS exterior, police box exterior, which folds out to form the backing for the console. The console itself sits on a little grey floor, which canine has a track he can run around on. And I believe that my console room set comes from a, uh, a later version because it has an additional piece. It has a piece of backing for the TARDIS control room. So rather than sort of have the two halves of the TARDIS as a concertina effect, you can have it in a U shape. And I, I am told that only came in with the second edition. The box is rather a thing of beauty as well because it's a, it's a window box, yes. uh, very plain polystyrene on the inside that holds all the pieces in place. and uh, But there's a wonderful diagram on the side. So it has the uh, Sylvester McCoy Doctor Who logo, uh, known, I'm told, as the asteroid logo. I didn't know that at the time. Uh, uh, it's, got the TARDIS, it's got the TARDIS in its bubble. It's got 25th anniversary commemorative set, and it has the two most bored and disappointed-looking children ever to play with toys ever <laughs> pictured on the front. Um, I'm, I'm guessing, again, this is because... Uh, partially because the set may have been designed in Spain, these children may not have had any idea what Doctor Who was, and we're just <laughs> and we're just looking at this uh, diorama playset with battery-operated console and flashing lights, mm. um, with a mixture of um, disdain and uh, and uh, very much credulity. Now, if if you'd like to see this box, viewers, um, and see these children, <laughs> if you go to DoctorWhoToys.net forward slash daypole.htm you'll see uh, both the playset and the box actually with all the the gear in it and that is a mm, that is a wonderful website doctor who toys dot that <laughs> yeah it's it's not the most flashy of websites it looks like it was made around you know 1997 or so but the information in it and the pictures <laughs> are very very useful especially when it comes to daypole as they made so many variations of different things especially daleks but we'll probably get to that in a moment Yes, indeed. I guess the first question that comes to mind is whether you owned this back in the day or whether you, you've bought it in more recent years. No, I didn't own it back in the day. Um, I did own some Daypole figures when I was a kid, and I remember I got my first Daypole figure, I believe it was 1990, and Nicholas Courtney was out here for a convention, the Brigadier. Yes. And there's actually a photo in existence of me dressed as the Brigadier at seven years old. And um, <laughs> I I do slightly remember Nicholas Courtney being very pleased by that. And years later, uh, I picked up this set when I lived, lived in the UK for four years. In 2008, shortly after I first arrived in the UK, I went to a convention with Nicholas Courtney. Oh, wow. And I was lining up to get my autographs. 
and put down my photo and said, oh, Nicholas, could you please sign this to Brendan? And he says, oh, I detect an Australian accent. I haven't been to Australia in years. I went to a convention there in 1990. I said, yes, I know I was there. And he looked at me for a moment. He said, you were dressed as me and you had a moustache of makeup pencil. <laughs> wow. And it was true. It was it, My moustache my was my mother's makeup pencil. And um, he said... I, I, I've always remembered that because no, no other children that young were into Doctor Who at the time. And, you know, I'm sure that wasn't true. But it, it was so touching to me that he remembered that. Anyway, getting back to Daypol. At that convention, my parents bought me a uh, Sylvester McCoy action figure, which they told me to be very, very careful with. But as we were walking through, I'm pretty sure the convention took place at Sydney University, I dropped him. And uh, the lower half of one of his arms just shattered. And, uh, yeah, so my parents uh, refused to buy me another one. I later found out that even then, those figures cost $20 Australian. And when you consider that now they're about 30 you know, adjust that for inflation, they were quite expensive. So uh, mum and dad didn't buy me another one, so I learned to treasure him. And I had a similarly broken um, Remembrance Dalek, which I think was a hand-me-down from a friend, and it had no arms. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was the extent of my of my Doctor Who Daypole toys as a child. Because so, Flash, I, I was just going to say go they on. they were very fragile things. I mean, they weren't the most well made mm-hmm. things. They weren't you know GI Joe quality or Star Wars figure quality. Um, and it's very easy to break you know the bottom half of an arm off or maybe a leg and 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 whatnot. But, yes, uh, yes. Even my current collection, um, there have been a few casualties because they live on the top shelf and are sometimes blown off by a breeze. So one of my, <laughs> um, one of my limited edition Daleks, sadly, the, um, the blue and silver Dalek, which I think came with a copy of the Five Doctors on VHS sold through Boots, <laughs> um, had its arm, had its plunger arm knocked off. I, you know, I did, I did my research. Um, I can anyway, tell. I, <laughs> Flash forward to uh, 2008, yes. when I moved to the UK, and I already had a small collection of the new Doctor Who, uh, new series, Doctor Who action figures from uh, character options. But, of course, moving to the UK, you know, I could suddenly get these figures for £10. Yeah. And working as I was there, and the school I was working in, um, the bus route from my home to the school went past a Toys R Us. Oh, Right. And, a, and a month after I arrived, Character Options released their first wave of classic Doctor Who action figures. Oh, so, great Tom, times. Peter, Colin, yeah. So, over the course of four years, I amassed a collection of the Character Options ones of about 250 figures. <laughs> I thought I was bad. <laughs> <laughs> now, the thing is, uh, when the Matt Smith first Matt Smith year came out, the, the action figures, aside from Matt Smith and Karen Gillan... Um, and the new Daleks, the the action figures were very sort of lackluster. You know, you had Francesco the Vampire, mm-hmm. and you had the Winders, <laughs> and you had Prisoner Zero. So I got rid of a lot of my new series stuff, except for sort of companions, Silurians, etc., etc. But at around that point, I started collecting the Daypole stuff again. Mm-hmm. What inspired you to do that? Well, I when when I decided to stop collecting the new series stuff, I sort of thought about well, what what am I actually collecting these for? And I realised I still wanted to collect the classic stuff, and by that time, there'd been two regular waves of classic figures, and then the rest were coming out as limited edition box sets from Forbidden Planet. Mm. So um, over here, we mostly get those through um, pop culture in Australia, who are run by, I think, Icon Collectibles. 
and because it was the classics that I was really drawn to, I realized it was more a matter of these were the toys I wanted to have as a child. And a lot, uh, a lot of people who aren't into collecting action figures have said to me, you know, oh, but they're, they're kids' toys. And I, I sort of think, well, you know, other people put um, paintings on their walls or are very interested in photography and put their own photographs on their wall. This is the same kind of thing to me. It's just a visual pop, a visual decoration, if you like, that has an emotional meaning. Absolutely. And with the day poles, I looked into how many they made and I thought, well, here's a relatively finite collection. As you alluded to earlier, there were lots of different promotional Daleks made. But in terms of the base collection, if you like, there were about 35 to 40. And so I thought, well, here's something I can get the base set of relatively inexpensively. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there were still shops in London that still had massive supplies of of all the different coloured Time Lords. There were four official variations of Time Lords. There was uh, there was Burgundy, yes. there was Grey, there was Brown, and... Oh, the other one escapes me for the moment. I know the figures you mean, though. They, they weren't the most interesting or inspiring action figures. <laughs> no, no. And, well, the, the funny thing was, and it kind of tied into the new adventures at the time, the Time Lords all had the same face as Sylvester McCoy, just with black lipstick. <laughs> Yes. So I started collecting the odd one or two here or there. Now, some of them, sort of your uh, Sylvester McCoys, Seventh Doctors, your Aces, your Mel's, and some of the basic Daleks you could get for about £10. Some of the others, especially the later ones, uh, were quite rare. So things like the uh, early model Cyberman Mm. and uh, the Melka, for instance, both um, beautiful figures, but again, extremely rare, and they were going for about £40, so about 100 Australian dollars, and very often that was quite loose as well. Mm. You, had to be, you had to be quite canny, and I sort of said to myself, you know, I want to get everything, but I don't want to bankrupt myself. You know, I don't see any point in that. Mm-hmm. So I started, I started collecting these. I think I got a small, um, a small batch of about 10 for about £40 off an eBay auction. Very good. And off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you what they were. But one night I was trawling eBay uh, when I was living in the UK and I came across a Daypole lot and the asking price was, according to my PayPal records, uh, £300. And this lot included the uh, the boxed console room set, we were, which we were discussing earlier, the boxed Daleks, the early years set, which contained a, um, a regular Dalek, a, um, a Ranger Scope Dalek from The Chase, a pyroflame Dalek from the Daleks Master Plan and an embryo-carrying Dalek from Power of the Daleks. It also contained about 20 loose figures, only uh, 10 of which I had, and these included a boxed early Cyberman figure, which, as I mentioned earlier, went for £40 on its own. Now, this lot for £300, I did some research, and at the time... Uh, there were only, I think, two other boxed console room sets going, both for £250 on their own, and the early Dalek set was going for £100 on its own. So even before the loose figures, I was about £90 ahead of the deal. Yeah. Now, I seem to recall, I think it was an auction, because I had to set an alarm for 450 in the morning (laughs) to be the final bidder on it. We've all Uh, been there. But yes, I know. (laughs) Uh, But yes, that did lead to me me winning it and it arriving. And I um, 
I had sent you through some photos earlier that I took shortly after it arrived. And uh, p- please feel free to share those on your website or with your listeners. Um, but, uh, yeah, and the, the set itself is in very good condition. The rotor in the console doesn't go up and down, but it does light up. Mm-hmm. And I'm told that the repair job to get it to go up and down is actually rather simple. I've just never bothered. I was going to say, it's interesting um, for listeners out there that the, the console does light up and, and does go up and down in, in when it's in you know pristine condition. Mm. It, it, it can, though, get stuck and get the wobbles, much like the real prop. Which, <laughs> exactly. Which exactly. I find quite funny. <laughs> And uh, much like the prop of the 70s, it's actually incredibly loud. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I have seen a working one, and um, this may not be true, but I gather that uh, when um, John Nathan Turner was shown the prototype, the company were very worried about how he would react because they'd worked very hard to try to make the motor silent, but they just couldn't. And they said to him, well, look, we can drop the rising and falling aspect and he just said, well, no, we'll just market the sound as being the sound of the TARDIS. <laughs> That's it sounds J&T. nothing like it. It sounds nothing like it. You, you know, um, some questionable decisions there, that man, but you have to admire his gall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. When life gives um, you lemons, make lemonade. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, I do, I do rather adore it, especially seeing as, uh, unfortunately, character options uh, haven't been able to make a, uh, a classic series console room set for reasons of cost you know basically um they for instance they molded a a bessie uh character options and it was seen at several toy fairs but there wasn't enough interest from um sellers to stock a bessie unfortunately and well when you look at the matt smith era console room which i also have there's no sound and lights on that where there previously was for the uh david tennant console room that's my biggest regret is when I first moved to the UK, I didn't have um, a lot of room in the place I lived. The Toys R Us was selling David Tennant console room for £20 oh. as an end of item. And uh, that that was the week that I bought about 20 action figures. I'll send you that photo as well. <laughs> Please do. It's me, it's me sitting on the ground next to this pile of action figures that's taller than me. But I thought, I'll come back and get that next week. Mm, mm. And it was gone. It would be, yeah. It's the way. Yeah. It's what happens? So, and you know, those David Tennant sets go for oh, at least one hundred and fifty, two hundred pounds now. I haven't looked. It makes me cry, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, we all have stories like that. I can remember when Toys R Us out here had the uh, the twelve inch Tennant dolls um, wearing the cloth suits and and so on they weren't the best likeness or anything though it's something to be played Mm -hmm. with and and they were knocking them down and getting them out the door at like about 20 bucks i think they had the doctor and martha and you know maybe there were some other figures i think they did a matt smith with a beard in the same scale as well Mm -hmm. and uh they got rid of those at crazy prices i wish i'd just gone and bought like 10 of each you know (laughs) Well, I did, I did get, and I hesitate to say lucky because it's a terrible thing, I did get lucky uh, at the closure of the ABC shops, and I am going to miss the ABC shops dreadfully. I did work in several for about five years, and I think it's such a shame that they're going. Mm. Um, well, indeed, I think by this point have gone. I think uh, the last one in New South Wales was uh, East Gardens, and yeah, I think that's gone now. But... Um, I just wandered into the QVB one when it was closing down and picked up the new five-inch Capaldi figures for eight twenty-five each. So I picked up uh, the two I was missing for myself and two for uh, Richard from Flight Through Entirety. He has been discussing grinding one down to make it into a John Steed from the Avengers. 
I, I bought him some Idrises that he's attempting to turn into Sarah Jane Smiths. Good luck. <laughs> he, uh, I trust him, he's an architect. Um, yes, oh, and one other thing about my Daypole collection. Yes. And I think it was part of this job lot, and I'm not sure the buyer quite knew what he had. Uh, are you familiar with the Davros story? With the of hands? the Davros figure with the hands. So the, the hands, first yeah. Davro- <laughs> the first Davros figure that um, that Daypole made uh, had two hands, That's and right. of course um, Davros only has one hand. And so the um, most of the Davros figures sold by uh, Daypole have a very hastily chopped off with scissors <laughs> hand. <laughs> Later on, they did adjust the mold so it actually was a proper end, but, you know, some people have just this very straight edge stump, if you like. Um, <laughs> For the listeners out there, this was a very cottage industry, tiny yes. factory. <laughs> oh, God, yes, we made a mistake. Was. Chop it off with scissors kind of <laughs> kind of thing. It's hard to believe in the days of character options where... I still can't believe the character options classic series figures even exist at all, to be honest, you know. It... it... If you had have said to me at seven years old when I was clutching that one-armed Sylvester McCoy Daypole figure, there is going to come a time when this will look terrible. Mm. You will have something much, much better, and you'll be able to swap the heads. <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have realised that. But I do have a two-armed Daypole Davros wow. that I got as part of this set because they only realised their mistake once they'd released it, and fans wrote in saying, "You do realise." <laughs> that this is um, completely now, wrong yeah. yeah not only that but it came in um it came in the box mm-hmm. so i had the box for it as well but um uh Daypole went through several phases of packaging there's uh black packaging for instance which has an image of the um of the character depicted that was the first round um then there was a rainbow set of packaging which has the tardis and the diamond logo and finally, there was a resealable clamshell package, mm. uh, which was around uh, the mid-90s, I think, when they were reissuing a lot of stuff, possibly post-fire. But uh, yeah, my, my Davros and my early Cybermen both come in this resealable packaging, so you aren't able to take them out of the box. Mind you, I take almost everything out of the box anyway. I don't, I don't hold with this idea of keeping things in boxes for the most part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. More people should do that, I think. <laughs> Now, one thing we mentioned earlier, and we and we should come back to it because time is running short. Daleks. They made an awful lot of Daleks. More Daleks probably than I can count. Have you managed to, to track down all the variations? Well, uh, I believe that I have. Now, just looking on the shelf behind me, I can see I have grey with black spots. I have black with silver spots. I have black with gold spots. I have all gold. I have cream with um, gold spots. Mm-hmm. I have red with gold, red with silver, and uh, another red with silver from here. Yeah. I'll be back in a moment. Okay. <laughs> and Brendan is just going over to his bookshelf and having a look. What else can he find? Okay, I'm back. I have red. I have red with black. And I have grey with blue. I also have blue with silver, which is one of the aforementioned special edition ones. Mm -hmm. Um, So I believe I have the entire base set, if you like. So the ones that were released 
the ones that were released separately carded in shops. Mm. Uh, having a look here on the uh, richardwho.com Daypole Project site, uh, they have a complete listing, and there are some wonderful colours of Dalek. There was a pink Dalek with purple spots mm-hmm. for breast cancer awareness. Yes. Uh, there was an all-silver Dalek. There was an all-black Dalek. There was a red, white, and blue US exclusive Dalek. That was the most bizarre one, I think. <laughs> well, you say that, but there was also the uh, green Dalek with uh, with gold dome and red spots released for Christmas. And uh, there were the uh, the glitter Millennium Daleks. Oh, that's do, right. Do you know of these? I've seen uh, them, they, yes. Yep, there were six Daleks. And uh, they were in blue, green, gold, purple, red, and silver. Uh, I have the silver and green ones. And uh, they were only 2,000 of each produced. And uh, I believe there was a... um, Yeah, there were proof of purchase coupons on the boxes. And if you mailed those in, you got a special display box for them sent out to you. (laughs) Nice. Pretty much, I think, when they had the fire, the Dalek moulds were one of the things that survived or were easy to produce. And so, whenever someone wanted a special thing, so for instance, uh, the Breast Cancer Research Dalek or Boots wanted a particular Dalek to go with a re-release of the Five Doctors or a convention wanted a Dalek, um, they would come up with a new colour scheme, even if it had never been seen on television. (laughs) They did produce a couple of... Uh, Peter Cushing-style Daleks, which pretty much just swapped out the plunger for the claw. Mm. They also uh, bought the rights to and re-released uh, Louis Marx Daleks from the 60s. That's right, yes. Now, though, those I don't have any of. They're still quite expensive. And because they weren't really part of my childhood, I haven't had as much interest that makes sense. In, in, in getting those. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I look at these, and there's... There was a Transmat Dalek, which was a clear one. Actually, I may have one of those somewhere, I'm not sure. Is that the one um, you can see the mutant inside? You can see the mutant, and they even did different colours of mutants. Oh, and to oh, this wow. day... <laughs> um, so, for instance, the brown mutant was exclusive to the USA, but apparently there were other ones, like there was a light green one, there was a yellow one, there was apparently a clear one, and apparently that was just whatever dye they had at the time mm-hmm. ended up being <laughs> that. <laughs> Yes, folks, it was that kind of operation. (laughs) You know, that's what I find so charming about it, because it continued for almost ten years after Doctor Who went off the air. Oh, yeah. And their licence was only revoked in, I think, 1998, Mm. which was when, in the wake of the telemovie, the BBC were taking back all their licences. So the Virgin New Adventures ended, these toys ended and really we didn't have another line of action figures until character options in uh, 2005 and it's weird this represents the end of an era when the bbc didn't care about the program yeah you know it was by sheer force of uh, the creative influences at the time so um the production team who had wanted to get action figures off the ground since um, Peter Davison. It's why none of his companions ever changed their clothes. That's right. Because there were going to be action figures. That's right. I mean, it's why his costume was the way it was. The the doctors were put into costumes because they were more marketable, you know? Exactly, exactly. And Daypole. There seemed to be a lot of passion there as well because Daypole, when their figures were cancelled, they had prototypes of a William Hartnell, Mm -hmm. a Yeti, a Ben and a Polly. Yeah. 
And they even had on the drawing board a Colin Baker, which had been put to the back burner because it would be too hard to paint. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Quite understandably. But, you know, there was, there was a lot of projects going on. The um, Daypole, uh, the New Adventures, production companies like um, BBV, which were entirely driven by passion. Mm. And I, I think character options is driven by a lot of very passionate Doctor Who fans in the same way. Al Dewar, um, who quite famously will sometimes share photos of prototypes uh, from his role at Character Options, is a very passionate fan himself. Yeah. And, yeah, to me, that's... I mean, I was passionate about these figures as a kid because they were unattainable. And having is not so pleasing a thing as wanting. Yes. But having these is still pretty damn cool. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I agree. And look, before we get to pricing, one last question. <laughs> and, and I think you've probably already answered this in, in what you've just been saying. Do you think the Daypole figures are a reflection of where the show was at in the late 80s, both in terms of the passion with which the people involved were making it, but also maybe the lack of interest the BBC had it in other ways? It all sort of comes together almost in this action figure range. Would you agree with that? I definitely agree with that. And also I think the kind of the make-do-and-mend element of it. I always find it quite interesting that John Nathan Turner, his raison d'etre coming into the program was to get rid of this feeling that it'll do because it's Doctor Who. Yet by the end of his time, he had to kind of settle, in a way, for a lot less than what he wanted. Mm. Now, and I say that as someone who loves the Sylvester McCoy era and loves Colin Baker's performance as the Doctor... But there were a lot of situations, there were a lot of circumstances outside of any of their controls. To me, yeah, the Daypole range kind of represents that as well. It's like, you know what, we can't make something that'll compete with the Star Wars figures, but we are going to make the best product we can make Mm. and hope that people enjoy it. And people very clearly did enjoy it. And I think part of that enjoyment for Doctor Who fans as well, is that we can take the mick out of the five-sided TARDIS console and the green canine (laughs) and the fact that if they hadn't stopped making Mel's, if Bonnie Langford had stayed in the program, we probably would have had a whole Power Rangers gamut of Mel's because we've got the pink Mel, we've got the blue Mel, we would have had the red Mel (laughs) and the yellow Mel and... Whole rainbow uh, of Mel's. (laughs) Yeah, original Power Rangers, the black Mel and maybe the green Mel, you know. Actually, that's quite tempting because Mel is a particular favourite of mine and Time and the Rani is the first story I recorded off the TV. Is that right? <laughs> wow. I actually, I actually have upcoming in two different books, um, who uh, You on Target and Hating to Love, two separate essays talking about Time and the Rani. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> pretty much in both cases both cases the editor said who actually wants to talk about time in the run I'm like oh me I do (laughs) now Um, do you have both the target novels with one with the upside down cover and one without I don't have the upside down cover with the tetraps upside uh, well the right way up I should say yes yes (laughs) I don't have the upside down cover I do have the um, the proper paperback cover I mean the upside down cover also had the neon logo on it Mm -hmm. as I seem to recall but no, I've got, I've got the um, the proper version, and I actually reread the novelization for you on Target, and got, you know, lo- love or hate their their use of language, you cannot fault Pip and Jane Baker on their enthusiasm. <laughs> Very true. Very it has true. been a long time since I've read something with so many exclamation marks. <laughs> 
Well, I'll be joining you and you and Target. I've taken the five doctors. Oh, lucky you. Did you get to read it before broadcast? No, no. Many, oh. many years afterwards. <laughs> There's a whole story about that, but that's going to be in the book. Oh, I look forward to it. <laughs> All right, let's move on to price, because we're at the end of the segment. I, I struggled to find any of these for sale at the moment. I ended up finding one, and it's someone flogging the console, a grey canine, oh. ace, a Sylvester in a brown jacket... And the, the the full TARDIS, which of course you could pull apart to make the walls, doesn't have the uh, the base that K9 can run around or anything like that. So I'm, I'm wondering if this has been cobbled together out of bits and pieces or something. I'm I'm not too sure. It's in the UK and they and there's no box at all either. They want 175 pound or about 320 Aussie. Goodness. So for you to have something in a box, all the proper <laughs> figures, the green K9. You know, I think it's appreciated quite well from what you would have paid. Yes, yes, I think so too. And and you want to know something? In all my research, I never found any indication that this was re-released after its initial boxing. So I think I think you're right. I think that is cobbled together. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, and I think for the 25th anniversary, it, w- it wouldn't have been. It was it was a one-off. Mm. You know, mm. yeah, that's right. So. Look, thank you so much for bringing it in and uh, chatting about it. I think we could have probably cracked on and talked about character options for an hour or two after this, but uh, <laughs> time being what it is, I think uh, I think that's been a fascinating chat on Daypol. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Rob. Cheers. Cheers.